0: All right, welcome home. It has been so fun, this series, to just see this place packed. Thank you, all of you who are inviting. Thank you, and welcome back, all of you who are checking us out or returning. And you know, one thing that sets a home apart from a hotel or an Airbnb is when you have chores. So I'm not gonna assign you chores today, but I'm gonna give you an opportunity if you wanna take some chores. We are growing so quickly that last week we had 140 more kids than the week before. It's a great problem, yeah. (laughs) So if you're here and you want to start serving, we have uh, dozens of different ways to serve. You just heard about Miss Pearl in inner city Chicago. That's one area you could go on a trip to visit there. Uh, If you want to serve in Kids City, we do background checks and we'll train you for that. You could serve running a camera. There's uh, dozens of ways, but you'll see a big booth in the lobby that says serve. And just stop by there, and uh, we'll help you find a place where you can serve. That's a great way for this to move from a place you're visiting to a place that is home. Well, last week, we asked the question, what does your dream home look like? Does it look like a craftsman-style house? Or does your dream home look more like this kind of modern, traditional style? Or does your dream home look like some other style of house? And here's what we learned last week. God cares about your dream home desires. We learned that the Greek word for home, it's like the word Ikea, it's oikia or oikos, depending on how it's used. That word appears more than 50 times in the Gospels. In fact, you're more likely to find Jesus in a house, someone's home, than to find him in a synagogue or a temple in the Gospels. He visits lots of homes, and God actually cares about the physical environment of your home, But your dream home also involves relationships, the people you want to have in that home and the kind of love you want to have back and forth, and Jesus cares about that as well. Today I want to talk with you about your inner home, because the reality is you could live in a beautiful custom home that is your dream home. You could be surrounded by people who are lovely and lovable and they love you. And if your inner life is not at rest, if your inner home is broken, your internal home, then all that outside stuff around you won't make a difference. You know, the reality is, for better or worse, our childhood homes shape us. And I know we're in a room of this size, and with those of you online, we've got everything from foster homes to abusive, abusive homes in our childhood, to people who grew up with Of phenomenal parents, and you think, man, I just wanna do what they did. But whether your childhood was exceptionally great or exceptionally terrible, it shapes you. And then at a certain point in your life, that house you grew up in is no longer your home, and you have to go out and make your own home. And when we do that, we find inevitably that it's a little bit harder than we thought. Maybe we get the physical part. But we're lacking on the relational part. Or we get the relational part, but we can't get the physical part. Or if that inner home isn't there, it doesn't matter how much of the physical and relational that we build around us. I want to show you a funny clip. It's from a movie called Four Christmases with Vince Vaughn. And Vince Vaughn, uh, I guess I relate to it because he grew up in a small town, uh, and then he was like, I am not living here, and he went off to start his own life. Now, at this point in the story, he lives in a big city. He's financially very successful, and he and his girlfriend, Reese Witherspoon, they have to go back to his childhood home for Christmas. Go ahead and take a look, see if you relate to any of this. Listen, if one of these houses gets a little too intense, I think we're gonna need an exit strategy. Oh, yes. So like we're gonna need a word that both of us know that means it's time to leave. So what do you think our safe word should uh, be? That's a good idea. Um, mistletoe. Mistletoe's really good. Okay. okay. By the way, this house here, my father's house, can get particularly uncomfortable. So please, sweetheart, do not feel embarrassed if you feel the need to pull the ripcord early and say mistletoe if this house gets too uncomfortable for you. We're going in. Let's go. That's a lot of presents you sent there, boy. You trying to outdo us here? You know the biggest ones for you, Howard. Yeah. What is it? I'm not gonna tell you. you have to... Are you crazy? Bro. Hey, buddy. Hey, yo. Ow. Hey. Ow! 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 Oh. Babe! Kate, these are my brothers, Denver and Dallas. Oh, hi. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. You must be uh, Orlando's girl. Orlando? I mean, we're we're named after the cities in which we were conceived. I'm Denver, that's Dallas, <laughs> and this is Orlando. Orlando. Well, my given name is Orlando, but I changed it to Brad, so... Brad. What? <laughs> I don't know if you can relate to any of that. I've got three older brothers, and so when I saw that, I totally related to that. You know, the home you grew up in is always going to be with you in some ways, and we have to get to this place where we figure out our inner sense of home because you can't fully enjoy a physical dream home or provide that for others. I mean, maybe you're working so hard to provide the home for your kids that you didn't have. And you can give them the walls, but you can't give them that dream home experience that you really want for them or for yourself until you have a healthy sense of inner home, that you are at peace, that you're satisfied, that you know who you are, that you're confident and comfortable no matter where you are. I want to tell you a kind of vulnerable story of a time in my early 20s when I was searching to really find this sense of home. And it's a story that I can laugh at now and feel free to laugh when I tell it. But man, at the time in my early 20s, it was just heartbreaking. You know, I grew up in a kind of small town and I knew, uh, I graduated high school when I was 17 and I knew like, I am out of here. I'm going to find my home somewhere else. So I went to uh, college a few states away and then I moved to the other side of the country, which was Phoenix, Arizona, to start my career as a journalist. And I had bought a physical home, and I was looking for that relationship part of home, but my inner home was still really kind of in development. It's a normal thing in your early 20s. And so I was dating this girl, and she and I really got along, and I really liked her family. In fact, maybe you've been there where you're dating someone, and you're like, man, I could really kind of see myself in this family. Well, they invited me over for Easter, I was so excited. I was like, oh, this is probably a really good step in the relationship. And I get there for Easter, and of course, she's my age, early 20s. She has two older siblings, and her parents say, hey, it's time for the Easter egg hunt. And I'm thinking, like, that is so weird. We're adults. And then they say, there's an Easter egg with a $100 bill for each of you in the backyard. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, I'm in. So we go to the backyard and I'm you know, lifting up rocks, I'm looking under benches, I'm like all in on this Easter egg hunt. About 15 minutes go by, my girlfriend has found hers, her siblings have found theirs, the mom finds hers, the dad finds his. This is the point, after all my effort, that he bothers to tell me, oh John, uh, you're not part of the family so there's not one for you. <laughs> I felt so embarrassed. I felt so stupid, and I just felt like I didn't belong. Have you ever felt that way? You know that feeling like you show up somewhere, and you just feel like you don't belong, or you're sitting at a table, and you're like, you know, why am I even here? I'm not qualified to be here, or I don't belong here. We all face that feeling in different seasons of life. You know, sometimes a young athlete, they build their identity around the fact that they're good at this sport, and then they get older, and no one at their work cares that they used to be good at that sport. Or you're a mom, and that's just everything. Like, wow, being a mom is so fulfilling as an identity, but then they leave for college, and it's inevitable that you go through a season where you say, you know, who am I now? Why am I valuable now? Or maybe you love your job, but then your boss fires you from your job, and you're like, What am I supposed to do? You know, we find our identity in all these other things, and they're not bad things. People telling us we're good at something or us being good at something, they're not bad things. But as we go through the different seasons of life, they change, and we inevitably face this tension. Where can you be fully loved? Where can you be healed from what's broken inside of you, and where can you be fully at home with all your brokenness and your flaws. I've heard it said that true love is when someone knows all your mistakes, when they know all the embarrassing things about you, and they still accept you. Where can we find that? How do we find that inner sense of home so that we can then build our relationships and our physical environments out from that? Well, I want to help you answer this question in a truly life-changing way. And as always, we find the answers to these questions in the Word of God. So I want to take you to the story of Jesus and a man who had a grave need for inner home. This was actually a wealthy man who had built his physical dream home. He had financially everything he needed for a dream home, but internally he was still restless, he was still empty. And the story starts in Luke 19 Verse 1, Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. Verse 2, there was a man there named Zacchaeus. Now, Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector in the region, and as a result, he had become very rich. So the dream house, Zacchaeus has it. The dream toys, uh, physical things that money can buy, Zacchaeus has them. At the same time, Zacchaeus is a bit of a social outcast. It'd almost be like today if someone moved in to your neighborhood and they had a really nice home and then you found out that they own a bunch of strip clubs and you'd think, well, okay, you know, that's that's an interesting career path. That's how it was for Zacchaeus because all his neighbors were Jewish and Zacchaeus was also Jewish, but the Jews had been subjugated by the Roman Empire. They hated the Romans. And these taxes go to Caesar, the Roman emperor. And so Zacchaeus has sort of wiggled his way into a position of influence where he's taxing all of his country people who share his ethnicity, and he's taxing them for the Romans. And by the way, when you're a tax collector in this culture, you get a bunch of Roman guards if you need them to show up with you. It's almost like the mafia, right? He shows up, you either pay your tax or, you know, you're going to go out of business one way or another. And Zacchaeus, as a result, these tax collectors would become very wealthy because they would cheat people. You know, what's interesting about this story, and I had never heard this before until I was studying for this message, uh, Jesus was what's called a rabbi. Rabbis were these Jewish teachers. And if you go back 2,000 years when this story happened and when Jesus lived Colleges and universities did not exist yet. That's something that Christianity would produce about a thousand years later. There's no four-year education at this point in human history. And what, what these rabbis would do is they would walk through villages and they would look for spiritual apprentices called disciples. And they would pick the best of the best. You know, the the best looking, most smart, smartest, I guess, clean cut, whatever. They're gonna pick a handful, maybe about a dozen of these spiritual apprentices or disciples, and they're going to say, come follow me. Jesus wasn't the only rabbi who said that. It was customary. Now, tax collectors were considered notorious sinners. Tax collectors were not invited to be disciples. However, Jesus broke that rule. He invited a guy named Matthew, who was a tax collector, who used his pen to cheat people, And he invited Matthew to become one of his disciples, and he would so transform Matthew that Matthew would then use that pen to write one of the books of the Bible, the Gospel of Matthew. Zacchaeus, who knew that he was uh, despised by every spiritual teacher and rabbi, heard about this rabbi who invited a tax collector to be one of his disciples. This is most likely why Zacchaeus is so interested I mean, it's a word-of-mouth society, and everyone has heard this guy claims to be the Messiah. He's done these miracles. But for Zacchaeus, he has a disciple, Matthew, who's a tax collector. I wonder in your life, what is it about you that you would think, because I have done this, or because this thing happened to me, I wouldn't be qualified at a church, or I don't belong in the family of God? Whatever that thing is— Jesus wants to have an encounter with you today, just like Zacchaeus, where he says, I don't define you by that mistake or that category that other people put you in. I want to interact with you. I want to heal you. I want to give you that sense of inner home. And I just want to encourage you, the fact that you're with us this weekend online or in person, whatever you've done in life or whatever you've been through, we have people here who've been through that who have encountered Jesus and have been transformed just like Matthew was. We have people who've been through unbelievable abuse, people who've been through uh, addictions that only God could break. Uh, We have people who've been through all kinds of trauma. We've got multimillionaire business owners who got to the end of their life and said, I have financially everything I ever wanted, and I'm empty inside. Wherever you are in life, we have people here like you who've had Zacchaeus encounters with Jesus. And I just wonder right now, just from your heart to God, if you would just say, God, I want to see you for myself. I want to encounter you. Because he wants to have an encounter with you. In fact, that was the heart of Zacchaeus here in verse 3. He wanted to see who Jesus was. He'd heard about him. He's so curious. I want to see who Jesus is. But get this. He's got a disability of sorts. He's a super short guy. He can't see. I don't know if he's looking at people's kneecaps or waists. We don't get a measurement of how tall he was, but he's way too short to actually see Jesus in this bustling crowd of people who want to see Jesus. And so again, you've got this list of things that probably when he looked at himself in a mirror, he sees a short guy who's a social outcast who has worked his hardest to build his dream home, but he's still discontent inside and he can't see over the crowd. You know, sometimes Christians can be the biggest block of people seeing Jesus. And if you grew up in a Christian home, or if you've known some Christians who've maybe blocked your view of Jesus, I want to invite you to be like Zacchaeus and have the willpower to say, I want to see Jesus for myself. I want to see if he can do for me what I've heard that he's done for others. So verse four, that was the heart of Zacchaeus. He ran ahead. He climbs a sycamore fig tree beside the road, because that's the way Jesus was going to pass. So he knows the road through town. Everyone's out of their houses and businesses. They're crowded around Jesus. And Zacchaeus figures, my only shot is to run down, climb up a tree, and at least I can look down at him and get a sight of this rabbi who invited a tax collector to be his spiritual mentor, who can heal people, who claims he's God and claims he can forgive sins. Well, little does Zacchaeus know, verse 5, when Jesus reaches that spot. You know, Zacchaeus is up there on the tree limb, Jesus stops and looks right up at him, locks eyes on him. And then he says, Zacchaeus, and at this moment, he's got to be like, am I wearing a name tag? How does this guy know my name? I mean, just think about this. Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house, your oikia. I'm going to go stay at your home today. Now, everyone in the village knew Jesus didn't stay in hotels. He stayed in homes. And so a lot of people are kind of hoping, maybe this famous rabbi who's coming through town, maybe we'll get to host him. You know, maybe let's get the kitchen ready, because maybe we'll get to make dinner for this this rabbi who's possibly the Messiah. Maybe we've been very spiritual people. Maybe he'll be a guest in our house. And so you can imagine how the town reacts when Jesus picks someone that they all despise for his sinful life. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down. And took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. Verse 7. But the people were displeased. Jesus has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner. They grumbled. Why would he pick? Like literally Jesus this is the most sinful person in our town. Don't you realize like how evil Rome is? This guy works for Rome. Why would you pick him? While everyone's saying this, verse 8, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord. I like, this just had to be such a dramatic moment. No one is like being socially polite about how much they hate Zacchaeus. Literally, he's there. Jesus is there. They're walking to Zacchaeus's town, and everyone just out loud, they're not holding back, why a notorious sinner? Why would Jesus pick a notorious sinner? And in this moment, Zacchaeus, God must be working in his heart because he knows The things that have broken him away from God. Look how he responds to Jesus. He says, I will give half my wealth to the poor. And if I've cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. This is really interesting because Zacchaeus, on a day-to-day basis, he would be going to very poor people and he would be demanding everything they have and he'd give some of it to Rome and keep a lot of it for himself. And he knows that that is what has disqualified him from being in the family of God, but Jesus reaches out to him anyway, and in this moment, this is what uh, the Bible calls repentance. Now, he's not going to be saved by doing these things. He's going to be saved by believing that Jesus is the Messiah and having a heart that says, God, anything I've done. That breaks me away from you, I just, I turn away from those things. I want to be right with you, God. That's what Zacchaeus is saying. Here's how Jesus responds in verse 9. Salvation has come to this home. In other words, I'm not just going to go to Zacchaeus's house for dinner, but because of Zacchaeus' heart, his sins are forgiven. This home is going to be changed forever. This home is going to change from empty walls to a place where Zacchaeus has an inner home, an identity in the family of God. Because look at this, uh, salvation has come to this home. This man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham, where all his Jewish neighbors would say, you're not actually a son of Abraham because you're working for Rome. Jesus says, it is faith in God, faith in the work of Jesus as Messiah, That's what gets a person into the family of God. And then here's the sentence that Jesus summarizes the point of this whole story and God's heart toward you today. The son of man, that's Jesus. Why did he come into this world? Why did he bring you into this moment? He came to seek you and he came to save you. He came to seek and save those who are lost. What is it to be lost? Lost is when you can't find your way home. Physically, or emotionally, or spiritually. He says, whenever you feel lost in life, I'm seeking you. Whenever you feel lost and you don't know where to go next, or who to trust, or who you are, or where to find your value, look to me, Jesus says. I've come to seek you. I've come to save you. And so if we look back at that question, where can you, In your life today, where can you be fully loved? Where can you be healed from your past, your mistakes? Where can you find that inner home and be at home with your flaws, with your shortcomings, with your problems? The answer is this. It's Jesus, Almighty God, who came as Messiah, who offers to you acceptance. That Zacchaeus couldn't find anywhere else, and you can't find anywhere else. He offers you that acceptance when you want to be loved. He offers that to you, and He offers salvation. Only He can forgive your sins. He offers you that inner home that truly you cannot find it anywhere else. And my heart for you today is that you stop spinning your wheels in the mud of life, looking for that acceptance in your peers or in your kids or in your social media followers, or in your 401k balance, or in your GPA, or in your possessions, or in the mirror, those things are not bad. But if you look to those things for your acceptance and identity, you're going to be living a life on quicksand, where sometimes it's really good, and other times you're totally rejected, and you're living this up and down life. And your creator says to you, I sent my son to seek you and find you. So that whenever you feel lost, you look to me and there you find your stability, your identity, your worth. I sent my son to forgive your sins, to give you an inner sense of home that you can take with you through all the seasons of life. You can have this inner sense of home when you're a freshman in high school and you feel like you don't belong. You can have it in a college dorm that's a new experience. You can have it when you move to a new city for a job. You can have this inner sense of home when you're dating and you're trying to find who do I live life with. But I don't I'm not totally dependent on that person to define who I am because I have that in God. And then as you're a parent, you say, I can't do this. God says, I'll show you how to do it. I'm your model. I'm your heavenly father. And then when your kids leave the house and you think, who am I now? Look back to Jesus. And then someday when you retire and you're like, man, I woke up and I did the same thing for 30 years. Now I wake up. I don't know what to do with myself. Look back here. And then one day for all of us, these bodies, which are temporary homes, One day they're going to age and they're going to break down. And all of us someday will be laying in a bed somewhere, breathing our final breaths. And if we have found a relationship with God through Jesus, we won't be in a panic. Because we'll know that he's gone to prepare a place for us. And we've lived a life out of an inner home that is secure in the work of Jesus on the cross. This is what I want for you today. This is what God wants for you. I wonder in your life, where do you need a Zacchaeus encounter with Jesus? Uh, Maybe you're here and you've been far from God, and today needs to be your day of salvation, where you say, I repent like Zacchaeus did. Uh, If that's you, believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus, your God, and believe in your heart that he rose from the dead, you will be saved. Uh, You can join us here in a week or two and get baptized with love to baptize you and help you just know for sure I'm part of this family. But maybe you're here and you've done that and you've even had moments in life where you were in a small group or you were serving and you were really fulfilled, but in the bustle of life. And isn't our life so busy? I mean, frenetic is the word. With all the activities for kids, our lives are so busy. And what happens is slowly... That lock, remember, Zacchaeus and Jesus locked eyes. Slowly, as we're going you know, to school and sporting events and work and family, and we just get exhausted, none of those things are bad. God wants us to, to be with us in those things. But our eyes kind of start to drift away, and we don't even realize it, but we're starting to find our identity in these other things. And it feels good while they're working. <laughs> but then they stop working. Maybe you need a Zacchaeus encounter to say once again, Almighty God, my identity is not a student or a mom or an accountant or someone who's good at this or someone who's wealthy or this or that, other thing, fill in the blank. I don't want that to be my identity. My identity is I'm a son of the king. I'm a daughter of the king. I've been bought with a price, and that's my identity. When you get that inner home, that then affects the relationships around you, and you can start to give the people around you the dream home you want for them. And then the physical just follows the rest of that. Here's the thing. Jesus wants to change your home for the better. He really does. But just like Zacchaeus, he starts that by changing you for the better. And if you're here and you're just like, well, Jesus, I would like you to fix my marriage and my kids, but not me. It's not going to happen because that's the order of operations. Typically, he starts by changing you. And that's why that word repentance was so important. How do you experience Jesus the way that Zacchaeus did? You don't have to be perfect. And I'm so thankful for that one. You don't have to be perfect, but you do have to be repentant. I won't go into it today, but if you're a Bible studier, if you don't yet have a life application study Bible, we'll give you one at our Connection Corner. You can look up the chapter previous to what we're reading, Luke 18. Jesus gets approached by a young, rich ruler who wants to be one of his disciples. And this guy looks perfect on the outside, but he refuses to repent of his form of greed, and he ends up going away very sad. I don't want you to go away very sad today. Repentance is what God responds to. It's a heart that simply says, God, you're bigger than me, you're smarter than me, I submit to you, you know where I haven't been perfect, but Jesus, I believe in you. And I want you to be the director of my life. When you do that, when you invite Jesus into your home as the one who calls the shots, three things he did for Zacchaeus that he'll do for you. First, he'll embrace you as you are. Where other people said Zacchaeus is too short, Zacchaeus is too greedy, Zacchaeus is in the wrong line of work, and they wrote him off. They disqualified him. He doesn't belong. Jesus said he belongs with me because I made him from eternity past in my image. And he says that of you. He embraces you as you are, where you have failures. And maybe you think, John, I'm not qualified in the family of God because of things I've done. That's exactly where Zacchaeus was, and it's the work of Jesus on the cross can forgive those failures. Third, he changed Zacchaeus for the better. And as a follower of Jesus, Salvation is a free gift. You don't earn it. We're all separated from God by our sin. And then you get reconnected to God, not by doing good works, but by believing in Jesus' work on the cross. That's a free gift. But here's the thing. After you accept that and you get baptized, God doesn't just want to leave you the way you are. He wants to grow you. He wants to help you find that inner home in him. And he wants to change you for the better. So if you're here and you're like, yeah, I'm a Christian, but you're not really changing very much. Maybe God brought you into this moment to say to you, look back to Jesus to say, Lord, am I being the dad I'm supposed to be? Am I being the spiritual leader I'm supposed to be? As a student praying through, what am I going to study in college? What am I going to do in life? Am I actually asking you to guide my steps? I love this passage in Ephesians chapter 1. It says this, it's written to everyone who's a believer in Jesus. So if you've trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, These are promises for you. It says this, even before he made the world, God loved you. Think about this. I mean, before he spoke the galaxies into existence, before he created like orca whales and dinosaurs and all the other stuff, he knew that you'd be born one day. And he knew what you would go through in life. And he loved you before you were even born. And then get this, he chose you. He picked you. I mean, think about that. Most of us, you know, have a sense of what it is that a mother's love is pretty unconditional, but moms don't typically get to pick their babies. Like, I hate to tell you this. Your mom didn't go into like a baby department where there was 2,000 babies and she was like, hmm, this one, that one. I'm going to pick her or him. No, your mama got stuck with you. Okay. (laughs) They're like, here's your baby. She didn't have a choice to love you, right? It's just like, this is my kid. I have to love them. Think about this. like God gets to pick, and he says, I picked you. I mean, that's so significant. Maybe you've never been picked by anyone else in your life. You need to know that God picked you, that he chose you. And he chose you in a way that you get to choose back and say, God, I I do want to be in your family. He chose you in Christ to be holy. What's that? Where spiritually you were muddy, dirty, defiled, through Jesus you've been washed clean. And when God looks at you because you believed in Jesus, he doesn't see all that mud and dirt anymore. He sees the work of Jesus on the cross, and he sees you as holy. He sees you as without fault in his eyes. He decided in advance, verse 5, to adopt you and me into his family. You know, I have an adopted daughter. My youngest daughter is adopted. And um, when I read that word, it just means so much to me because I love her so much. Uh, I love her so much. And I just think of what God, that he did that for me, that he chose me. You know, we uh, adopted our daughter and um, man, uh, well, I, I can't describe the wonder of getting to be her dad. But I want to try to help you understand a little bit of that emotion by showing you a short story of a mom and dad who adopted a daughter. Now, in this case, they knew this daughter was going to have a physical disability. And knowing that, they said, we still choose her. Go ahead and take a look. long yes we found a baby girl for your adoption but there's some things you need to know she's in siberia and she was born with a rare condition her legs will need to be amputated i know this is difficult to hear her life it won't be easy It might not be easy, but it'll be amazing. I can't wait to meet her. I cry every time I see that. It is such a picture that God chose you. I mean, think about it. He knew everything about you. The things that you're most embarrassed about. The things that other people might say, that's a disability, or that's a fault, or that's a flaw. He says, I choose her. Other people might see someone who's disabled, but parents see an Olympian. Other people might see someone who doesn't belong, or who uh, is damaged goods, and parents see their daughter. This is how God feels about you. This is the heart of God toward you to say, I know everything he's ever going to do wrong and I choose him. I know every insecurity she's ever going to have and I choose her. God loved you and he chose you. Ephesians 1, 4, even before he made the world, he loved you, child of God. He chose you in Christ to be holy and without fault. Verse 5, he decided in advance To adopt you into his own family. How did he pay for that adoption? How did he finalize that choice? It was by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. And then think about this, verse 5. This is what he wanted to do. So Jesus, when he goes into Jericho, he already knows what's going to happen with Zacchaeus the notorious sinner. That's what he wanted to do. That's why he went through Jericho. It wasn't a coincidence, and he wants to speak to you right now. He wants to connect with you right now. It's not a coincidence. He wants you to believe in him for your salvation, but he also wants you to believe in him for your identity, for your significance, for your confidence, for your acceptance in life. He wanted to do this, and look at that. It gave him great pleasure So I love that short story because those parents, other people might be like, oh, man, bummer for them. They're going to have a daughter who doesn't have the bottom half of her legs. What a terrible life. And they're like, this is what we want to do because we have so much love in our hearts. And God knew everything you'd go through. He knew every way you'd let yourself down and let others down and let him down. And he said, I want to do this. I want him in my family. I want her in my family. It won't be heaven without them. It's worth it to go through any kind of pain, to go through the cross, to reach him or her. You know, in that short story, I love the moment where the little girl is looking in the mirror, Uh, because my little girls are around this age, and I'll catch them looking in the mirror. It's such a normal part of the human journey of growing up, when a child's looking in the mirror, and they're kind of asking, am I pretty? Who am I? Am I valuable? And from those elementary years up through middle school and high school and into the early 20s, whether or not we realize that we're putting feelers out into the world at Easter egg hunts and relationships, we're saying, am I valuable? Who am I? Do I belong? And what God says to you today is you are valuable according to the person who defines right and wrong for the whole universe. You're beautiful by his definition." And what he says goes for all of eternity. You're a daughter of the king or you're a son of the king. And I just love this. And I wonder where you've been looking for identity in life lately. There's nothing wrong with looking in the mirror and there's nothing wrong with having some success and fulfilling things in life. But when's the last time you looked to Jesus in a way that said, you define my worth, my value. I also love this moment where she's swimming and there's the crowd of people around her. To me, this is so symbolic of life that we journey through life and there's just this crowd of people, just like Zacchaeus, he couldn't see over the crowd. And you'll get coaches who say, You're not good enough for the team. And you'll get bosses who say, You don't deserve the promotion. You'll get people who you wanna love with all your heart and they say, I don't love you back. You'll get parents maybe who say, You're not good enough. You'll get all these different voices shouting at you, and I just love the way they put the light on the mom, because my adopted daughter, when she plays soccer, she had a game yesterday. You know what she'll do? She looks over to see if I'm watching, because there's this thing in child psychology. It's called the scaffolding. The child ventures out from the parent. And they look back, am I safe? And if they don't feel safe, they go back to the parent, and they keep venturing out further and further. And further, she's finding that healthy identity when she looks back at me. When was the last time in the chaos of the noises of your life that you looked to almighty God through Jesus and said, I, need to, I really need to find my security in you? Because some of these other things are shaking. Or maybe some of these other things are going really well, but I'm smart enough to know they're not always going to go really well. And in the good times and in the bad, I look to you for my identity. When I'm healthy, when I'm sick, I look to you for my identity. When it feels like everything's going great, or when it feels like life's not even worth living, I look to you for my acceptance. Speaking of acceptance, I love that that scene in that short story when the parents are on the phone. I just feel like her face, Jessica Long, this Paralympian, it captures that emotion of just like, will you accept me? You know, will you invite me in to your family? And I just want you to know today that this is the heart of God toward you to fulfill these desires in you for your salvation, for your eternal life. But in the most practical way for every day of your life on earth, as your body changes, as your friends change, everything in life, as we age and we go through seasons, he says, look to me, I'll give you that acceptance that you're looking for. You know, Paul the Apostle wrote these words in Ephesians 1 about God adopting us, and Paul was a guy who had a solid sense of inner home, because like Jesus, he was homeless most of his life. After he followed God, he ended up becoming homeless, he ended up getting whipped, getting, uh, becoming an outcast, he ended up being wrongly imprisoned, and yet he always had this inner sense of Take take my body wherever you want. I know my soul and spirit, who I am in almighty God. I have this unshakable inner sense of home. And as Paul's writing this, don't you know you're adopted? Don't you know you're chosen by God? Don't you know he picked you? Don't you know he's cleaned you up? This is who you are in Christ. Then he says, so we praise God for this glorious grace. Right, like We were spiritual orphans headed to an eternity of darkness. We've been invited into the kingdom of God, into an eternity of light. We get cleaned up. We have a purpose. We have an identity. And he's just like, Paul's pouring out his heart here. He's like, God has poured this grace out on us. And now we belong to his son. That's where you belong, in the family of God. And that word belong is a lot different than like in our postmodern America. We're like, where do I belong? As in, I feel good. No, this is like, he's your dad and you belong to him. So yeah, if you like really get off track, he might kind of swat you back a little bit. You belong to him. He doesn't want you ruining your life. He doesn't want you destroying yourself, and it's in love that maybe in this season you're like, I need to get back to God because I've been trying it on my own, and it's not working. Verse 7, he's so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom, freedom from sin, with the blood of his son. That's what Jesus did at the cross. He paid the ultimate price so that you and I could be in the family of God. I love that final moment of that little story where the mom on the phone says, it might not be easy, but it'll be amazing. I love that because I've found that most amazing things in life aren't easy. (laughs) Most good things in life are difficult. Did you know that there was a moment in the history of the universe when almighty God, who answers to no one, who can do whatever he wants, He was one decision away from paying the price, the agony of the cross, to adopt you and choose you. One decision away. And Matthew, that tax collector who was transformed, records for us in the Gospels exactly what Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before he was crucified. And he's there, and he's sweating, and he's agonizing in prayer. And he's saying, Father, if there's any way to adopt them, to forgive their sins, if there's any way to restore her back to our family, any way for them to be in heaven with us, any other way than me going to the cross and suffering all that agony, if there's any other way, please, I don't want to go to the cross. This price is a heavy, heavy price to pay. And to me, the cadence of these, it might not be easy, but it'll be amazing. In my mind, I just hear, not my will but yours be done. That Jesus said, it's not going to be easy to save her, but it'll be worth it. It'll be amazing. I wonder if you know today that where you might see yourself as flawed and broken and not good enough, that God sees you as a daughter or a son of the king. That where others might see a disability, he sees an Olympic medalist. And here's the thing think of these parents for this Olympian, Jessica Long. Her entire destiny, born in Siberia, former Soviet country, with a disability, where would she be in life if those parents had not adopted her? She's a totally different person because she lived in their house and she accepted their identity. And God wants the same for you. He wants to take you places in life that you could never imagine or dream if you'll live in his house. If you'll actually say, you tell me who I am. You tell me what I'm good at. You know, in my mind, I might say, I'm terrible at this or I'm not good enough. But God, if you say I am, then I'm going to obey you. I'm going to live in your house. My heart and prayer for you today is that you know this for your heart, that you feel it today. But even more that you leave here saying, God, because you've adopted me, I want to actually live in your house. I'm going to be part of the family. Now, we're not perfect siblings, okay? Our dad's perfect, but we're not. Uh, But you need to be part of a Bible-believing church where you're committed. Every weekend, I'm engaged in worship. If I'm traveling or out of town, I'm online. But if I'm in town, I'm there with my brothers and sisters. And then become part of the family by starting to serve somewhere. Or get in one of those groups, that card that's on your seat. There's a million different groups here. Whether you're going through divorce, going through cancer, you're a man and you want to become a godly man, or you're a woman or a mom and you want God's way for that, we have a group for you. Start in on some group and some way of serving. That's when you're going to start to feel your identity change when you look in the mirror in life. Let me pray for you now. Father, I just thank you in this moment that you're speaking. Lord, there's a lot of voices in our life. There's a lot of busyness. There have been a lot of evil and hurtful things said to every one of us. Things that we still hear in our minds about who we are or how worthless we are. Lord, I just pray for every person in this moment that we would lock eyes with you like Zacchaeus did. And in your gaze that we would experience the acceptance for which our hearts long. Lord, that we would have repentant hearts that say, God, anything that's keeping me out of your house, anything that's moving me away from you, I'll let it go. I mean, I'll give away everything I own if I have to, Lord. Whatever it takes, I just wanna be near to you. Because Lord, when I have my identity in you, everything out, everything out from the inner me works. But when I don't have that, Lord, nothing works. And so, God, I just pray for the person who's believing in you today for the very first time, that they would call out to you in a way that transforms their eternity and their life, and that they'd let us know today that they'd be baptized here in the coming weeks. Lord, I know there's many, many sons and daughters of yours who've forgotten in the busyness that have just forgotten that that son of yours, he's he's a mighty warrior in the kingdom of God, not just a middle-class suburban dad making it. You've got plans for him. You've got purposes for him. Help him to seize that again today. Lord, for your daughters, maybe they've fallen into the trap of thinking they're valuable based on their role in life or how they look in the mirror or what people say online or how many likes they get. I just pray that in this moment you just obliterate all that stuff. That they'd know again that they are a daughter of the king of the universe, an heir to the greatest fortune in all of history. And that every day when you see them, you say, that is my beautiful daughter. So much potential, she's so special. I've put my gifts in her. And Lord, that every one of us as sons and daughters, that we would love each other well, that we'd be a church that is a picture of heaven because we're a spiritual home, serving one another with hearts of love, pointing each other back to look to you for our identity, for our fulfillment, for everything we need in life, we pray in Jesus' name.